Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com and this is Techie Bytes episode 15. Today I'm speaking with Alex Wilhelm, the editor-in-chief at Crunchbase News. We discuss editorial strategy, tech finance, yes, including crypto, and well, being old. Enjoy. I'm here with Alex Wilhelm, the editor-in-chief of Crunchbase News. He's also formerly from uh, TechCrunch and Mattermark and The Next Web, all companies you probably have heard of. TechCrunch, especially on The Next Web, those guys are big deals. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for being on the podcast with me. It's great to be here, especially with that kind of really kind introduction. I almost sound <laughs> interesting when you put it like that. Like I almost get there, and that's the closest I've ever been. So I will take that and uh, with some grace. Thank you. No, any way I can help you sound interesting is what I'm here for. That's that's my job as the host, right? <laughs> Where were you when I was single? I mean, like I could have really used the hype man back then. That was three or four yeah. years ago, man. I could have really used you. Well, I'm here for you now. Uh, I guess that's all that that's all that matters at the, at this moment. Um, but you, you know, you and I are both around the. I think we're around the same age. We might even be the same age. Um, and yes, I know. I I remember when you started at TechCrunch, you were pretty young. Um, but you, but even before TechCrunch, you, you really got your start in digital media early, uh, starting at the Next Web. How, how did that opportunity come to be? You know, how, how did you get it? How did you get in the door there? Yeah, yeah. So this goes back all the way to college. That's how far back we're going now. And you and I are not as young as we used to be. So college <laughs> is now slowly receding in the, in, in the rearview mirror. Um, the way it kind of worked out was this. I, uh, I before I went off to school, I worked for a company called Clicky Web Analytics. Um, some great guys, some friends of mine up in Portland, Oregon, and um, I came up with an idea with them that summer for a product um, that we wanted to build. And so the next summer, um, the company that I worked for in Chicago, my first year of college, kind of fell apart, uh, and so everyone got laid off. And so I, you know, had some free time that summer. So I went back to Portland to hang out with the guys from Clicky, and we built a company called Contenture, uh, which ironically, uh, TechCrunch covered its birth and then later on death. And so at the end of that summer, it ended I had up some, in the Deadpool. <laughs> it ended up in the Deadpool. I think it was a record time between launch, initial traction, and failure, and then coverage of failure. It was like a three-month arc. It was impressive. Oh, wow. um, but, it, <laughs> okay. but I learned. I learned a lot. You know, you found a company, you you fail, and you grow a lot. Um, but then the, the point is, at the end of that summer. I was bored, um, living on a couch in Portland, Oregon, and so I started to blog um, on alexwilhelm.com, just my own name, you know, URL, and uh, then I found some friends um, that I started writing with as well. We founded a, what we call the group blog, just a bigger blog called TechGeist, which is no longer online, thank heavens, because we were not very good. Uh, <laughs> and then, I forget exactly when this happened, but around the start of my second year of college and after that summer, uh, the next web was looking to hire its first part-time writer in the US and I was Twitter friends with um, the then editor in chief Z uh, and I was like oh I'll do that and he was like alright and so I got a job um, but the, the thing is though like the next web back then was like two part time guys in the UK and me part time in the US so like they didn't hire me when they were of scale they hired right. me when they didn't have a ton of money and not a ton of traffic and so I was a fine fit um, if you will and that's how I got that job back in I think it was uh, 1734 <laughs> The early days of the internet. It, it feels <laughs> like 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 several decades ago, even though it was probably it was probably ten years ago. No, it can't be ten years ago. Gosh, how old was I? Nineteen, twenty at the time, somewhere in there. It feels, <laughs> that, it feels, it feels like a thousand. Years I know, ago. I know how it feels. I was recapping a story with my girlfriend earlier about like uh, going to school with some guy who had a birthday on um, 
666. Um, and, and she's like, how, how did you go to a birth? How did you, how did you, how did I, first of all, she thought I, I went to school with a kid who was born that day. I was like, no, that's just when his, his birthday was six. Birthday six, was, like, right. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I was in high school and I was, and she, you were in high school? And oh, holy crap. Like, kind of like go back and think about that. It's just, um, I don't know. It's interesting times how fast, it's, it's funny how much faster your life seems to go as the older you get. It's a whole other time. Yeah, though. yeah. Yeah, I, I was 16, 17 in 2006. And that was back during the, uh, shit, that was back during the Iraq War. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a long time ago, it feels like. I mean, it was. Well, now we're just dating. over 10 years. Now we're just dating we're really yeah. we, we should just stop while we're ahead. Uh, so there's some gen, there's some Gen Z listener out there going like, gosh, these guys are ancient. Anyways. <laughs> anyway. Um, so so, so you, so you were at the next web for, for how long were you at the next web? A couple of years, right? Oh gosh, um, three to three and a half years, I think. So I, I stayed with the next web all the way through when I left college. Actually, I graduated a quarter early, uh, so I could go full time sooner uh, with yeah. them. And then I moved to San Francisco, um, working for them. And I think I, I I worked for them for, gosh, almost a year out of here, somewhere somewhere in there. I think it was three and a half years total at the next web. You can check my LinkedIn if I had that wrong, but it was roughly in there. Nice. So so you were there for for a good chunk of time. Um, and then you made the move uh, to to a site called TechCrunch, which we all know. Um, yeah, I I joined on my twenty fourth birthday. Um, I remember I, you know that because I, and your yeah. birthday is also similar. To, I think it's close to mine. What's your birthday? I, my birthday is July nineteenth. Oh yeah, I'm July twenty second, so I'm just three days behind you. Right, and I because I remember like tweeting at you or something saying like, "Oh, that's awesome that you that you that you joined TechCrunch or something," or like, and it was like. Your birthday or something. There was like, I don't know. I was just. I feel like that was like well, a the, similar time frame. I don't know. I yeah, the headline that. of the story that they they wrote <laughs> announcing my hire was a happy birthday to our newest writer Alex or something like that. And it was like yeah. my twenty fourth that day. So, but for me, just as a personal note, that's really useful because it's like one of those like like um, milestones, if you will, that I can kind of like before and after. Like, well, TC was that. So it's three years post TC, so therefore it was you know you can kind of do math that way. Um, yeah. Because once you turn over like 24, 23, your birthday just stops mattering because no one cares. And like <laughs> you have to find new ways to remember how old you are and how long ago things happened. Because, I, you know, when you're – yeah. Go for yeah, it. no, I, I was going to say I just think like after 25, it's like pff, no one cares. It's like no, like no quarter, one cares. Of a, quarter of a century, that, you know, that's old enough. Doesn't matter anymore. This has turned into an episode where we're talking of, of old men complain. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> exactly. well, let, I'm gonna we let should, you should, move us along then. No, no. We, we should we should have Leo Laporte on here if <laughs> at this point. I love I love Leo. <laughs> Me too. He's a great guy. Um. So so I want to talk about you know a little bit uh, from a journalist standpoint, an editorial standpoint here. Yeah. So you you were at the Next Web for three years, and then you moved over to TechCrunch, and you were there for a couple of years as well, I believe. Um, uh, two and a half. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about from an editorial stylistic, you know, standpoint. How how are how you know these are two massive publications, especially at the point when you left the Next Web and when you I mean, when you joined TechCrunch. Um, how are they different? How are they the same? You know, or you know, what, what you yeah, know, what, no, it's a good question. When it comes to approaching stories, it's a it's a really good question. But one thing I, I want to say is, as a point of caution, is that all publications are always evolving. And so when I talk about the next web, 
I'm talking about a period of its uh, of the publication's early growth uh, through to initial scale, if you will. And since then, it's gone through the usual stuff the publications do: new editors, new writers. Um, a bunch of my friends that used to work there now work for other places. Some of them are still there. You know, so so when I when I answer this question, I'm not trying to say that this is precisely how they are today. Um, I, I don't Fair want to be overly enough. prescriptive about that. So, anyways, uh, the next web is where I learned how to write. Is how I that's how I think about it. I learned how to write quickly. I learned how to write um, with a bit of authority and a bit of style about things. Because the next web was really chasing um, TechCrunch, if you will, in a way. They were really trying to build the publication to be um, not the paper of record precisely, but something close to that. And mm -hmm. one way that we tracked that was we tracked how we were doing on TechMeme's leaderboard and how much of that oxygen we could suck up through our work. Um, and so I learned how to write a lot and write quickly. And two things that writers are often bad at are just those two things. You know, A lot of people that write don't actually like to write. They don't like to write much and they struggle to get the pen on the pad metaphorically or I guess the, you know, the fingers on the iPad or whatever. Yeah. Um, but at the next web, you know, growing up in this, you know, online, quick-paced technology media world, I didn't have that luxury. Uh, it was like, write this now. And so you just started to write. And so you had to learn um, how to approach things in, in that uh, mindset. And the next web was very much, you could tell when you read it, that's what was going on. There was a lot less, you know, 3,000-word think pieces and, you know, super long features and a lot more short-form um, iterative stuff, which is not bad. I mean, the world has never moved faster, and so you need a lot of short form and long form. Um, TechCrunch, though, was a scoopier place. TechCrunch was a, a, a lot more about what are you breaking that no one else has. And those mm -hmm. were the real bits of currency at TC. Um, and one thing that TC had was the, the luxury of doing that because um, it had been around longer, it was larger, it had a bigger staff. And so when you have more people, you can spend more time um, you can let someone go off and pursue a story for two weeks or whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not two weeks, but you know what I mean. Whereas the next web was very much like, you know, ass in the chair, typing the keys, moving the ball forward. Now, TC had more time and flexibility to, to pursue new angles and so forth. And that taught me a whole different set of things. You know, I worked with a different set of editors, um, you know, Eric Eldon, Alexia Tiltsis, Matthew Panzerino, again, because I worked with, with him at the next web. And then also um, Henry Bickovet, who is uh, right. still one of my best friends. Um, yeah, so it's just very, very different. Um, still working on the same overall topics. You know, for me, it was always kind of finance and tech and then Microsoft for a while. Um, but I, I wouldn't even go as far as to say that one is particularly uh, better. Um, I think that TechWorks was, was a better fit for me in the end. Um, but certainly both taught me quite a lot. And that is enough words that I'm going to stop talking and let you put me <laughs> back on the rails if I have gone the wrong way. No, no, you, you, went, you went the correct way. I, I, I think that was really insightful. I think, you know, for... for 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 you, you know, considering you know the the next step of your career, which we're going to get to in just a second, um, you know, becoming editor in chief at Mattermark and then and then now at at uh, at, at Crunchbase News, um, you know, those are two di those are two different types of um, editorial you know styles and, and just ways of going about the editorial process that. That you need to understand both, I guess, in order to be kind of an effective editor in chief. Um, well, no publication can only do one, right? The right. only publication that gets away with only doing the latter is the New Yorker, probably. Right. Maybe yeah. Foreign Affairs, but Foreign Affairs publishes like once every six months. I mean, I love Foreign Affairs. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I read, I, re I read most issues, but like, you know, no one else has that luxury. So it's you're right. It's a world in which you have to do both. 
Right. At least now it is. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree with that. Um, so so currently you're the editor-in-chief at uh, Crunchbase News, and, and that's actually a project that you have been building from the ground up, right? I mean, what what does your job entail over there? Like, what what does your day to day look like? What are you What are your goals for uh, for the site, and how how are you how are you building that up? Oh, that's a lot. Um, yeah, okay, so like why don't, why don't I? <laughs> yeah, why, why don't I define what it is, and then what I'm trying to do, and then how I do it? That might be the best way to go about this. Sure. Um, so Crunchbase News. Um, loosely modeled in my mind off of what Bloomberg did is a media pu- media business or just publication that's um, domiciled inside of Crunchbase. And what we do is uh, we focus on covering what we call the intersection of technology and money. And so wherever there's tech and dollars or yen, whatever you want, you want whatever we want, uh, that's where we, we kind of focus in as a, as a publication. And the way we set this up is, back to the Bloomberg point, is we have full independence from the corporate entity that funds us um, to pursue whatever it is that we want. Now, given that before I came here, I wrote about finance and tech. I mean, Crunchbase knew who they were hiring. They weren't trying to hire someone who's going to come in and write about lawnmowers and, and track cars. You know, so there's there, there's a there's some synergy between what Crunchbase does and what Crunchbase News does quite a lot, really. And we lean on Crunchbase uh, data for a lot of our work, not all of it, um, but for for big chunks of it, so we can do more de- in-depth analytical stuff. Um, so Crunchbase News does that, and my goal with this project is to build out the best publication that I can that I'm able to with my my, my amazing team that I'm very lucky to have. Uh, focusing on technology and money, and then just kind of build that out to look at a broader set of private companies. Because not just tech startups are interesting. Tech startups are very interesting as, as a substance, as a trend, um, and as a result. But they're not the only thing that's, that's high growth and takes in capital. Like biotech is an obvious other place I'd love to spend more time um, right. investigating and reporting. And in time, Crunchbase News will grow into that. But um, for now, we're focusing on what I know best and what my team knows best, and also what Crunchbase has best on tap from a data perspective, which is you know kind of high growth uh, traditional tech companies. Uh, and then how do we do it? Um, well, b- people didn't hear this, but before we started recording, I informed you of how boring I am. Um, <laughs> and uh, so this, this is, is going to sound this is going to sound kind of dull, but hear me out. So uh, my fiance lives in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Um, I split my time between there and San Francisco. So I'm going to give you the SF side of this because that's most relevant. Um, I get up at 6.30 cause that's fun cause I'm old <laughs> and, uh, I try to do like, you know, between seven and 35 pushups and I get probably like 23 and a half and then I kind of give up and I kind of lift some weights for five minutes in the house and I meditate for five minutes and then I go to work and I try to get in by 7.30. There's no, there's no shower in, in there. Oh, I mean, I, I shower, I pee, I brush my teeth. I mean, I was trying to avoid the uh, the ablution side of this, but apparently you want to go there. Yeah, um, anyways, get a complete I, I should, picture. Yes, uh, I do not comb my hair because I'm going bald. I select my t-shirts at random. My socks usually don't match, and I wear very expensive jeans. Um, there you go. There, that's all true. So there's that's the whole amazing. picture. Um, get to the office. I shoot for 7:30. I get here at 7:45 because that's how SF and buses work. Um, I don't take Uber to work anymore because traffic is so bad in SF. It was just throwing a whole bunch of money out of not getting anywhere faster. So I gave up on that. And uh, the first thing I do is I write the morning report, um, which is a short form column, if you will, that we put out every day. Uh, first thing, it's uh, it's a quick read on the biggest thing out there that's happening that we care about, big rounds, IPOs, 
that sort of thing. Um, and then from there, I can I manage the team. You know, we've got Jason in Chicago, we've got Holden in Eugene, we got Savannah and I here on site. Joanna, who writes the blurbs for us and does a fantastic job with the Daily, lives down in Oakland. Um, Marianne Azevedo, one of our um, one of our most amazing uh, freelancers, lives in Austin, Texas. And uh, we have an intern coming in from Chicago in a little bit. So that's the crew, and we work and we try to break news and do the best reporting that we can. And then we hope that uh, everyone shows up and reads it. And so far, so good. I wish we were growing faster, but we're growing at a pretty good clip and um, still doing it. So that's, that's nice. I think, the shortest version of that. I also podcast with TechCrunch, and I podcast with the SF Chronicle, um, and I fly a lot. It's kind of my life. Awesome. Well, I mean, that, sound, that sounds pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I do know that I'll give you a quick plug. You, you, uh, the podcast you do at TechCrunch is Equity, which is all about tech and finance. Uh, it's also very good. I highly recommend you guys check it out. Um, but one thing I wanted to touch on that you said that was that really piqued my interest was how you kind of loosely modeled um, Crunchbase News after Bloomberg a bit, which just redesigned their website and you know made it yes, like every other website. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other topic. But they, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the redesign to be honest. Um, I think it just looks like a newspaper, which is I thought we were trying to get away from that. Um, yeah, but, some ideas just don't die. Yeah, um, but but I guess so they so they make their money through their terminals as as, as I'm sure you know, uh, and yeah. which you alluded to also. Um, do do you see like Crunchbase the data that you guys have collected uh, Crunchbase as a whole? Forget Crunchbase News at this very second, but the actual product that's funding you uh, to be able to do Crunchbase News. Do you? Do you see that as like a new type of Bloomberg type terminal that 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 no no do? so so the the analogy holds but it's not it's not perfect or direct so what okay. Crunchbase has built is very different than uh, the Bloomberg terminal and if you haven't actually spent time with the Bloomberg terminal figure out some way to go get time with one and get someone to walk you through it if you're a numbers dork they're fantastic they're just so much fun um, by the way Bloomberg please lend me one thank you. <laughs> um, what what Crunchbase? So the thing about Crunchbase is it's really an old business, right? Crunchbase was founded over ten years ago as part of the TechCrunch private company, and right. then was picked up with TechCrunch in the AOL acquisition, and then many many things happened internally until it was spun out again as its own business. And so Crunchbase, as an independent company, is three what three years and change old. It's not that old. And so what it's done is take this long and, and, if I may, rich history of collecting data through different ways on the startup world and turn that into a weapon. I mean, Crunchbase Pro, which is now over two years old, if I have my numbers correct, um, is doing very, very well as a product. And also, you know, Crunchbase, as you can probably presume, because there are ads on it, drives revenue that way. And Crunchbase, I can confirm here, it's huge. Uh, and you know it's it, it's a multifaceted business that does just fine. But I would not I would it does well even. But I would not want to compare it directly to Bloomberg terminals. So there's a, a very specific thing, and I don't right, want right. to. Uh, I, I, I the the analogy to Bloomberg holds if you don't take it too seriously, because okay. Bloomberg Media started off with a much larger budget. Bloomberg was a much more mature company at the time. So we're using it as a bit of a guiding star. But I'm not trying to say you know we're mini Bloomberg because that would be a, dr a dramatic overreach by my part, and I would sound silly stupid <laughs> okay well that's fair enough that makes sense to me um i want to talk a little bit about how you got into tech finance um yeah, was, this, is, yeah. You know, was that an area that you were always interested in or like did it just happen you stumbled into it like they're like hey we want you to cover tech and finance and 
Oh, and Microsoft, I guess, too. You know. There was so, so I'll answer that in reverse because the Microsoft thing was literally just someone assigned it to me. And here's how that worked <laughs> out. So, uh, at the next web, I was living in Chicago at the time, so I was still in school. I would just I would blog, you know, basically full time because I didn't like going to class that much. Um, I got assigned the Microsoft Beat because I was the only person at the next web who had a PC, had a Windows PC. That was it. <laughs> that that was the reason I got assigned that beat. And so, like four years of covering that company later, you know, countless trips to Redmond, and you know, getting to meet Satya before he became CEO, and all all of that crazy stuff that eventually happened worked out because I happened to have a Windows Seven box in my college apartment. Um, so that that was random. That was just Z. Just was like Alex, I want you to cover Microsoft. I'm like, what? All right. So, <laughs> I'll, I'll, and like you start with nothing. I didn't know the company's structure. I didn't have any, I didn't have any like, uh, like contacts on their comm team. I didn't have any sources. I didn't have any based. I didn't have much really. I knew how to use windows. Uh, and so you <laughs> went from there. That's a start. Um, <laughs> yeah, but then the tech and media question, I'll try to avoid self-indulgence here and tell you kind of the two, the two big things. So I fell in love with, with money, uh, first as an, as a concept or as a topic. Um, my elementary school had a, had a stock club. I think I was in third fourth, fifth grade, somewhere in there, you know, the, the latter, the back half of elementary school. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those stock clubs, you get like a million fake dollars and, you know, you, the group meets up on Wednesdays during lunch or whatever. And uh, I got to, I got to play with money. I got to invest in stocks back in the 90s and um, watch, I think I lost most of it. I don't think it went well. Uh, but I do recall that, that feeling of, of, of intense personal curiosity in the subject of public markets and, and business. And then I started to read the Wall Street Journal and, uh, you know, through middle school because I was super cool. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I, read, I read tons and tons and tons of annual reports because I wanted to kind of figure out what all this stuff meant. Um, again, super awesome. I was so cool. And in technology, I fell in love with uh, much later on, probably like, you know, like early to the high school. Um, if you don't know a guy by the name of Philip Kaplan, a.k.a. Pud, P-U-D yep. on Twitter, he used to run a, a website called, um, pardon the uh, the Greek here, but fuckedcompany.com right. during the great dissolution of the 2000 tech boom. And that became a book called Effed Companies that I found in the public library in my hometown. And I read that and I was like, what are these wacky little companies that are doing all these crazy things? I got to figure out more about that. And I was already into gaming a little bit and I tried to code a little bit, but that was, I think, got me into the, the idea of tech startups. And so money first and then, uh, then tech came later. And here we are. Gotcha. Well, no, that's, that's an interesting story and kind of like, uh, kind of just the way it kind of, like, you, I mean, you didn't fall into it, but you, but had it not been for that elementary school uh, stock, you know, group, you may not have, you may not have fell into it. You know, you may not have. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was, yeah, I was a very serious trumpet player, um, <laughs> fifth through 12th grade. And I was also a very bad wrestler. Um, you know, any of these could have, could have stuck. No, I, I mean, I, it's always easy to look back and say, you know, that's the turning point. But I think I, I think I would have ended up here anyways because I'm a bit of a loud mouth and I like to read and um, I like to argue a bit. And so if, if those are kind of your constellation of personality traits, writing is not a surprising place to wind up. You know, I, I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that, I'm, that I'm not running a Bass Pro store somewhere. You know what I mean? That, that, that would <laughs> yes. be – yeah, and nothing against that, but I'm just not into. I'm not an outdoorsman. I, I I was in Boy Scouts, and I got done with that. Um, so I'm just I'm not shocked. This is where I ended up. So I don't want to overscribe too much emphasis to those two points, but they do they do stand out as uh, as important moments. Gotcha. So speaking of money, though, there's a new there's a new type of money out there. Uh, I've heard. Yeah, cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> 
Do, uh, I'm curious if you have any thoughts in terms of Bitcoin or Ethereum or any any of the <laughs> hundreds or potentially thousands of cryptocurrencies that are out there right now. I have I have so many thoughts about this. Um, <laughs> where where to where to begin? I think I wrote my first piece on crypto in 2013. I want to say I, I could go find this on the next web if 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 I really spent the time. Um, I wrote a lot over there, so it's hard to find things. But I think it was back in 2013, and I, instantly fascinating. The idea of wealth creation from math, which is at base what it is, mm-hmm. is, is is a really brilliant idea. The downside to to crypto, much like the downside to being a Rick and Morty stan, if I may use uh, kind of the, the modern internet vernacular, is that the, the fan base sucks. And so one of the problems you have with crypto is that the technology is pretty cool, but the fan base is awful. And so, you know, people walk around calling you names like no coiner and all of this. And it's like, well, I, I can't hold I can't hold assets that I that I write about. So of course I'm a no coiner, you know? Um, yeah. and you know, I've got friends that have risked a lot more money on this than they should and almost ran into serious problems that would have ended their marriage. Stuff like that. So, you yeah. know, it's it's real and this is this is not to be Trifle with, but you know. So my my answer lies somewhere in there. It's that the the underlying technology of distributed ledgers and uh, you know blockchain tech as a whole is super cool and probably has a handful of really serious real world use cases. Um, I just don't think that uh, in three to five to seven to ten years I'm going to get paid in a uh, in a crypto asset as opposed to the U.S. dollar. And um, right. I don't think that people should be putting their 401k money into speculative assets that have no uh, no dividend yield, and so that 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 puts me into the old school camp. Though it makes me an old grumpy man, um, it does. Which is fine it, because- I, considering that you know, I just I, I just I just wrote about the other a uh, couple weeks ago this Bitcoin IRA thing. Uh, this oh basically gosh. lets you lets you invest uh, you know pre or post tax dollars uh, in a in a IRA that's you know in in Bitcoin essentially. <laughs> I mean, look. I, I tell everyone this. I'm like, look. Do you do you, do you gamble? People will say yes or no. You know, do you if you go to if you went to Vegas, Jeff? What would your gambling budget be? Just flat out. If you if you were to go to Vegas and meet tomorrow, and we were gonna play some blackjack, what would your budget be? I, I honestly don't gamble that much, but if it would probably be a couple hundred bucks. Right. Let's just call call five hundred. We're gonna do out, go out for the weekend. Call five hundred. Put that money into crypto for sure. Have fun. Go. Why not? You know, just don't bet. Your house, don't bet your rent check, don't, you know, just keep it reasonable and then have fun. But, you know, then people are going to say you're going to miss out on the economic upside. And the answer is maybe. But a lot of people have already participated in the economic downside. So there's that too. I mean, Bitcoin and its uh, its cohort are cool, but also plagued by fraud and hackers and all sorts of deliciously um, deleterious things because it's still pretty unregulated. Oddly enough, right. I thought it would get a little further in that by now, but there's a an ethos contrary to that in a lot of the um, crypto world, which is you know, I think obvious. I think that ethos kind of also extends to the the tech world in general. That that you know that that that, that you know that self regulation is the way sometimes um, that they, that companies prefer. Um, but but that's a whole other kind of uh, ball game that we'll that we'll have to get into another time. I, I want to talk a little bit yeah, about yeah 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 ICOs and. And so, so we were just talking about cryptocurrency, obviously, but like, and one of the things you pointed out was, you know, there's, there's fraud involved. Uh, I mean, we've seen countless stories now. I'm sure you have too. Um, you know, people invest in an ICO or initial coin offering for a company. And then the guys who were behind it, they take the money and they go buy a yacht and they sail off somewhere. (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, our ice, yeah, our first ice. of all, don't don't buy a yacht. That's a depreciating asset. So <laughs> yeah, don't do that's that. That's true. That's um, just that's foolish. <laughs> but yeah, so the ICO fraud thing is the least surprising thing in the whole world because one thing I have learned watching the financial and technology worlds for you know the time that I have uh, is that greed is probably the single biggest constant pulse in business. Flat out, it's not innovation. It's not. It's definitely not altruism or trying to change the world for better. It's just greed, and that's okay, pretty much. Because that's the engine of capitalism that's fueled such an amazing lift out of poverty. But you know, we should just keep it in mind that it's greed. And so, when you see ICOs, if there's a chance to take more of the pie than you could working fairly, people are going to take advantage of it. And especially when there's no regulation, you're going to have a, an easier uh, time of doing so. So to see the amount of fraud that we've seen in the ICO market is not surprising. Maybe the surprising thing is we haven't seen more. Maybe the surprising mm-hmm. thing is that not 100% of these haven't been frauds. Some of them are for real, um, kind of. But uh, I, right. I'm not they, shocked. They by, may be, by the but they a lot of them a lot of them haven't developed the the products that uh, yet that they've uh, no. stated that they would. Has Filecoin actually launched yet? I don't know. I don't, it know. Hasn't. <laughs> I don't think. I don't so. think so. I, I don't. I don't think so. It, it raised a quarter billion last year. Yeah. I mean, what what are they doing? Are they? I thought this was going to change the world. And it turns out, no, people just give me a bunch of money and I'm still using Google Drive. I know, right? Well, it, I mean, Filecoin sounds like a really cool product uh, and idea. You know, if the execution is there, they, they raised, as you mentioned, an insane amount of money through an ICO. And there has yet to be anything to come kind of of it. Um, sometimes I wonder if it's if, if that kind of kind of equates to like a Kickstarter campaign, right? Where we have these, we have these guys who are like, <laughs> you know, uh, buy into do crowd, you know, it's essentially crowdfunding. You know, buy into this, this, uh, this idea that we have for this hardware product, and we'll sell it, we'll send it to you as soon as it's made. We'll give you, you know, lower price or a sticker or a T-shirt with right. it, and then people pledge this money, and they're like, oh, you know what? As it turns out, making stuff's really hard, especially manufacturing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we actually can't do this. Um, and then, you know, you, you've lost the pledge that you that you gave to them. Uh, the yeah, but just... I feel like that's that, that's a little different, though, because the scale of dollars different. is so different. Like, oh, yeah. you know, oh, an absolutely. ICO that raises 50K and dies, no one cares. But it's right. the ones that raise tens of millions that then flee and buy the yachts, to your earlier point, that are the real issues. Yeah. And I, I worry about people who are unsophisticated. I'm, I'm not worried about you, Jeff. I don't, I don't give a shit about you because you're smart and you're fine. <laughs> I do not sit up at night going, "Is he okay?" I is go, my mom, "Is my mom gonna fall for you know buying into?" Is, is your mom gonna fall for? It? Is my dad gonna fall for? It? Is my uncle or is, or is or is my future kid? You know that sort of thing. That's that's what scares me because you can't presume that the public will have the same level of sophistication as you and I. I mean, we're sitting here on a podcast for God's sake. I mean, that makes us the weird ones, which is <laughs> fine. Does. This is where I want to be, but like you know, I I want to know and make sure that the financial world works for. For at least most people, that doesn't strike me as too big of a goal. No, I, and I think that's I think that's a good a good goal to have. I I think you know educating people about these things is honestly um, critically important. Uh, you know, especially especially as they become more ubiquitous. And you know, you know, my mom asked, "Oh, I heard about this thing called like an ICO, right?" You know, well, what, is that? <laughs> what is what is that? Um, and I'm like, uh. Well, let's sit down for a minute. Um, yeah, let's sl- slow down. Let's, <laughs> let's pause. How much money do you have that you want to lose? Because give it to me instead, and I will lose it just as fast, but I will buy cool things with it. Right. 
I mean, I mean, uh, here, here's the thing. Most people should be investing in IPOs, right? I don't, yes. I've never recommended to a friend or family that's thinking about investing in an IPO to do it because I don't think they know what the hell they're doing. The person, right? Mm-hmm. And an ICO is a, is, a, is a level of magnitude more sophisticated than an I, IPO. You have to imagine the future network logistics and how it will handle incentives and voting rights and block size changes and how it will work in a world of evolving cryptocurrencies. An, IC, an IPO may have some you know, net income and a dividend. You know? That's much right. easier to understand. And I still don't recommend that for most people. So to me, the, 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 the class of investors that should theoretically participate in ICOs is like eight people. Um, which is cool, but I mean, it, it's not the way it's happening in the world and people are just going to get hurt again and again and again until we realize this is not the way to go. But with low barrier to entry tech, you know, all right, yeah, here we are. Yeah. This is, this is life from now on out. I mean, we could do, we could do our own ICO in like what, two, three weeks, probably it wouldn't be that hard. There, there are companies now set up to help you create an ICO. Right, right. You can give them Bitcoin to help them, help them help you create your own crappy coin. I, I don't know. Do you think we're going to have that many coins that actually end up surviving? Because there's two there's two camps. There's the Bitcoin overall camp, right? The Bitcoin will right. win. And then there's the, you're going to have a coin for your house. You're going to tokenize your pants. Like, I don't know. Which side are you on? See, I... I'm on the side that I, that I, don't, I don't believe in that there's going to be a token for everything. Um, I just think that would be... I think we're going to see more decentralization, but I, I think a token for your house, a token for your pants, uh, a token for your, you know, buying or you know, getting a refrigerator or whatever. Uh, yeah. I just, I just think that that's way too complicated at the end of the day to, for mass adoption. Um, you know, technology. I've always had the belief that should be seamless. It should work in the background. It should. You shouldn't even know you're using it. And unless that can be done, tokenization around the world and, and uh, you know, and like on a full on a full scale, I just there's going to be a couple of coins, one, you know, one, two, three, maybe that kind of, you know, that 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 make it, uh, you know, to the big time. Kind of like we have like, you know, a few credit card companies and like, you know, things it's, it's a whole a different couple of currencies. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, you know, the euro, the dollar. Uh, the Chinese yuan, Japanese yen, and then the pound is somewhere down there as a real tertiary thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, like, think about like think about the different assets that trade on dollar-backed denominations, right? Like oil. Oil's mm-hmm. not dollars, but but oil trades in dollars. And so, to me, that that might be the analogy of how I think about this. But maybe in this case, in the our analogy, and I know we're really far too into this, but maybe then the dollar is the um, is the blockchain, and oil will be a side chain. But if you don't get what I just said. Be really happy that you're normal and that you're not <laughs> so far down into this well with us. But anyways, the, the point is it's cool, but eh, we'll see. I still don't use any blockchain tech in my day-to-day life, and I have disposable income, I'm educated, and I'm bored a lot. So you think that I would end up being somewhere in that matrix, but I'm just not. Right. I And to be honest, I don't, I don't really use that much. I don't, I don't think I, No, I currently am not using any blockchain-based uh, technology in my day-to-day life at all. And you like uh, trying things. You are a curious. Uh, you've always been a curious person to me. You know, no, I, you would yeah, be even right. more so a perfect, a perfect, perfect person for the for the early adopter use case. And you're not. I, I there's I, nothing I, there. Right. I haven't invested in any ICOs. I haven't. I haven't done anything like that. I mean, I've I've written about the products. I think they're cool. But I would not. Sp- I would not spend money 
uh, investing in them. I just I just don't think that's a smart thing to do right now. Sure, yeah. I might miss I might miss out. I might not, but there's always a chance down the road to still invest when you see it's something that you know that that's more solid, that has a bigger foundation around it. Um, and the only argument against your your well nuanced position is Lambos and to the moon, which are not arguments. <laughs> there's there's slogans that people who don't want to work for their money employ to tell themselves that it's okay to be overly exposed to one very risky Nuevo asset class. And that's fine, but I don't have to see it as anything more than just, you know, self-bucking up. So Right. Right. Well, on a different topic, I want to talk yeah, about yeah. Something, uh, something, something that's also really interesting and, uh, and fun. Um, so you, you've been in the, in the tech space as we've covered for a long time, as have I, and I've received my fair share of pitches from PR people. Um, oh god and tech and tech I mean, companies over the years yeah uh, yeah any any tips you'd record any tip for any pr people out there anything <laughs> you would like to tell them you know uh you know in terms of what how they should pitch you uh, oh man you gotta you gotta be more specific than that uh that's i i, 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 mean, I, I, I first I, of all first panels, of all i know um, I, go for it i know you hate email first of all no so, no the thing is i've gotten over that um, okay, you've gotten over the email hate. Yeah, well, it was an anxiety thing. I would open up my inbox, you know, and at TC, the tips line is just crazy. So much shit's flowing in. And so your inbox is just this, this cat, well, at least was this catastrophic train wreck. And that was back when my, my this is personal, but my drinking was getting a little bit out of control. And so um, I've since quit drinking, don't worry. Um, but like it was getting bad. And so what, what I didn't realize was that the, the alcohol fueled anxiety fused with my inbox, just hate, was just too much to deal with. So I just stopped reading email for a few years. Um, still don't know how I got away with that. Maybe I actually didn't. I just didn't notice. But um, <laughs> yeah. But now, but now I'm now I'm back on the email train. Not happily per se, but I'm always around. Right. So so if some if, if, so I could tell you one of the, you know some of the worst pitches I've got. I've literally gotten someone send me a a subject line just says something I forgot. I don't remember the exact thing. And then nothing in the body, and they just attach the press release. That's awesome. See that that to me though that that's just walking around with your shirt off. That's like screw you. I'm gonna get a sunburn. I don't care. I'm tough. Like that's that's fine. They probably just forgot to add the body of the email. But like here's what I don't want to do. And what I here's what I used to do in this situation was tell you about some pitch that some random junior level PR person sent me. He he he. They did something whimsical. But here's what I've, I've learned since then. And this is all about being hashtag old now. Um, a lot of times that, that junior PR person had no say in the matter, right? They right. were, they were told to do something. They were given a press release, a contact list, and they had to send this out to everybody. That was their job that day. And so I don't want to, I don't want to crap on the poor PR person who's new and starting off in, in their job. I want to talk about the manager who set them up for failure because the, the stuff in my inbox that, that junior PR person didn't go, this is going to work great. This is what he wants to see. This is what I should send him. They go, this is what I have to send him. And so off it went. So I think, you know, instead of picking out a single pitch that's, that was useless, I would just say that a lot of uh, middle-level PR managers seem to be kind of lazy about this and want to export the, uh, the pressure and the, uh, the anxiety to their junior staff probably in the, in the name of paying your dues, which is just silly. It's just an old person yeah. trick to get young people to suffer. Um, I, th- I, just, just, I just have to say I think we're going to have to name the, this, this podcast episode hashtag old. <laughs> uh, you, you you just you just caught me on a on an afternoon when I just got out of a two hour long meeting and uh, 
Yeah, I'm just sitting here in a window call room in our office in SF drinking a full sugar Coke, and I feel 6,000 years old. So if, uh, nice. if we recut this again Is- in a week, I'd, I'd be a little more happy. <laughs> No, no, it's cool. Uh, well, we, we are, but just curious, is, is the Coke in like one of those glass, like tall bottles? <laughs> no, 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 no. See, Crunchbase is a, is a here's, here's a little factoid. People are healthy in San Francisco, and I'm not. And so like the snacks we have in the office are like, I don't know, the little like, um, like seaweed crisps and like health oh, yummy. And you know what I mean? There, there's like tons of water. And then there's this one rack of like full sugar Coke. Uh, in the fridge, and I'm just like, and on hard days, that's where I go. That's my pick me up. Like, I'm just gonna drink 250 calories, whatever the hell it is, of pure high fructose corn syrup. Nom nom nom. And it just, it, it really does make me feel better. So you know, there you go. Well, as long as it works, that's all that matters. You, you gotta uh, find something that takes the edge off. <laughs> yes. So before we get to the lightning round, I do have one question that because yeah, uh, yeah. this 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 kind of broke. Uh, you might not have seen it actually because you were in your meeting, but. First of all, you're a member, uh, for those who don't know, of the First Name Club on Twitter. Your Twitter handle yes. is literally your first name. It's Alex. Yes. At Alex. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Twitter just uh, announced uh, earlier that they are going to be hiding what they call, quote unquote, bad tweets uh, <laughs> from people yeah. using different using different algorithms and inputs that they've that they gathered, data points, what have you, uh, to determine whether or not... Uh, someone's tweet you know if they reply to someone whether it should show up in their feed or not uh it won't re- it won't necessarily remove the uh the the tweet from twitter and you know you can still access it if you have the direct link but it won't it might not show up or you have to show all tweets you know kind of like how reddit kind of you know if someone gets downvoted into oblivion they just hide their comment you can like or you can view it if you want to um yeah any any thoughts on that? You know, you know. Yeah, I've seen, so, I've, so, seen, I've seen it both sides. Twitter is doing something that's pretty intelligent and also pretty dumb at the same time. And like, I know I don't, I don't know if Jack listens to your podcast, but this is what I would I would tell him if he was here with us. There's, you you got to build Twitter in two ways. You got to build it in a way that it works for three hundred million people, and you got to build it in a way that it works for one million. Because the one million of us who live on Twitter create, I presume, what, 60, 70% of the tweets probably? I mean, we tweet a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so you're going to have a really weird dual experience. And what Twitter is doing is probably reasonably from their perspective is uh, over-indexing for the masses. And what I mean by that is they're trying to build out features that change up your timeline, just like Instagram has and Snap, I think. I don't really Snap much, but, you know, whatever, and Facebook, uh, to create an experience that works better. Because, no, I'm not on Snap because I'm not fun. There's a, there's a distinction there. It's close. It's a related yes. topic. Um, no, but, but Twitter is doing, I think, a pretty good job probably from the average person's perspective of building a product that works better for them. They don't want to mm-hmm. see the jerk tweets. They don't want to see stuff. They want to see moments. They want to see highlights, and they want to see things that help them understand the world and be part of the conversation. Good. Just make sure there's always a product left for the power users, and I'm worried that they're going to over-index so far for the regular people, that they're gonna forget that those of us who really do live and die on Twitter need a lot of horsepower. And so what I would tell Jack is, fine, you know, you go out and you build this Twitter iOS app that works for everybody. You hide those tweets, you do, in case you missed it, whatever those little little things are called, but make sure you leave TweetDeck for us, the power users. And so mm-hmm. to me, if they're gonna hide bad tweets, all it means, Jeff, is that you and I won't have tweets on the, uh, 
on the feed. That's fine. You know, we'll just get shadow banned or whatever. That's cool. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but um, but as long as there's still a, a fully chronological power interface that's no BS, no changes, then I'm fine. You know, I mean, I'm not. I mean, if I was 23, I would shout more. But I'm too old for that. So. <laughs> Gotcha. I'm trying to well, stay on topic, man. No, no, I, 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 think, I, think, I, I think that's, I think that's a fair assessment, to be honest. Um, yeah, I really have nothing else to add on that. I think you hit all the key points there. Uh, so, with that said, I'd love to jump into the lightning round with you as soon as you're ready. Yeah, this is what I'm nervous about. So, so why don't you give me uh, some firm directions about how to best participate? So, lightning round is easy. It's, 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 it's. It, it's two types of questions. It's like a yes or no type thing or uh, this or that, you know, type question that I ask you. And you have to – it's basically – you you're, you provide a one-word answer typically in response. One-word um, answer. Okay. I, yeah. I, I will do my best uh, to not punt and answer these. So let's do it. <laughs> okay. All right. Here we go. Will Apple be a $1 trillion company in the next year? No. Okay. Will Snap find its way or be acquired? Hell no. Well, wait, wait, wait. Two different questions. Ask them, <laughs> ask them separately. Okay. Will Snap find its way? As a public company, no. Will it be acquired? Probably. Yes. Sorry. Yes. The Verge or TechCrunch? TechCrunch. New York Times or Washington Post? Oh, man. That's tough. Um, with TC, I, I used to work there, so I have a family connection. Um, <laughs> I read the Post more than the Times now, so I'll say Post. Okay. Most underrated public or private tech company? Maybe Sprout Social in Chicago. Um, Ignite down in, I think, Redwood City. Uh, those are both companies with you know big dollar revenues and really, really intelligent CEOs um, that I think have a, real, have a real shot at it. And also, I would just throw in the guys from Untitled Startup. I forget what it's called now, but they're also great. Awesome. Well, that was it. Uh, you. Oh, that was easy. Oh gosh. Yeah, oh, that I hike. think I, that's, yeah, that's I, easy. I try. I tried to. You know, I try. I try. You know, make it friendly. But you know, I. I. I think. I think you did really well. Um, well, the only tough one was the Times and the Post because, like, I, I use them for different <laughs> things. I read the Times from my international coverage. I read the Post from my U.S. domestic coverage for politics. And it's like I don't know both. Well, that's not an answer. So. Well, that, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, Alex, I, I, I really appreciate you being on. If you want, uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or find you online, what's the best place for them to do that? I know we covered your yeah. first name club before. You can yeah, so just on um, Alex, Alex on Twitter, just twitter.com slash Alex. Uh, if you want to email me and tell me that I'm dumb, uh, alex at crunchbase.com. Um, but if you want to just be constructive, um, I would follow people that uh, that I write with. So Holden Page on Twitter is fantastic. Jason Rowley. Savannah Dowling, um, Marianne Azevedo, Joanna Glasner. That's my team. I, I can't say enough good things about them, and I just, there's, they make my life possible. So if you want to follow someone, follow them. I'm boring. <laughs> awesome. Well, just real quick before I let you go here, do you get a lot yeah, of, of like r random at mentions on Twitter with the name Alex? Yeah. And uh, okay. So this is a good thing to end on then because, so here's the way this works out in my life. I, I run a, it's a Dell 40, I think it's 43 inch monitor at work. So it's huge. And I have uh Tweeten, which is a tweet deck variant um, running on it all the time. And I do get a, a lot of at name spam because that just happens on Twitter. If you have a, a short username, the problem though is, is when someone accidentally tags you in porn spam, 
and you happen to have TweetDeck up on a 43-inch monitor in the middle of your office. So what you have to do is is just keep an eye kind of pointed at your admin engine so you can kill things and block really fast because you don't want to accidentally leave up something that you got tagged in. You know, you didn't do anything. You were just you know passively receiving this. Um, right. You don't want to confuse the office. So, yeah, that's that's where it lived up. <laughs> you don't want to have a Ted Cruz moment. You, you, oh gosh! If you don't know what we're talking about, um, just Google Ted Cruz porn favorite. Yeah, that'll do. Twitter. Yeah, awesome. Well, Alex Wilhelm, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.